I mean it. I, I have this fear of enclosed spaces. I think everything must go back to the fact that I had a very anxious childhood. I, I, I feel physically inadequate. I gave it a lot of thought. The truth is, this therapy is a jerk-off. You know it, and I know it. Well, uh, I, I guess uh, deep down I'm, I'm feeling a little confused. But the thing is, I mean, since our discussion's here, I feel I have a right to my own feelings. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. I worry about diseases, so uh, I have trouble touching things. I'm prone to depression. A certain bleak attitude about the world. But I know I can handle it. You're listening to Mental Wealth, a podcast about people's mental health experiences and the tools of recovery. Hi everyone, welcome to Mental Wealth with me, Simon Tierney. This is episode four in this series of podcasts for News Talk, in which we discuss a different mental health condition in each monthly episode. This show is not intended to be a substitute for professional treatment, but rather an exploration of mental health issues and the tools of recovery. In this episode, we're looking at obsessive compulsive disorder, a condition listed in the World Health Organization's top 10 most debilitating illnesses. My guest is Laura Lee Conboy, a broadcaster from Longford. Laura, thanks for joining us. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm not too bad. How has your day been? It, it's been pretty hectic, but uh, yeah, but all good. So I, I made it here on time. And uh, What were you up to? Uh, I was doing my show earlier. So You're a broadcaster, aren't you? What station are you on? Uh, it's on 2XM, or she, 2XM. And it's uh, Shadowplay. It's a, a music show. Brilliant. So we're here today to talk about obsessive compulsive disorder. Hi. Help! If you want to see me, you will not do this. You'll make an appointment. Dr. Green, how can you diagnose someone as an obsessive compulsive disorder and then act as though I had some choice about barging in? There's not going to be a debate. You must leave. You said you could help me. What was that? A tease? That was Jack Nicholson there in 1998's As Good As It Gets, in which he plays a character with OCD. Have you seen that film, Laura? I have seen it a very long time ago. Um, I remember years ago telling people, or if I did tell people I had OCD, they'd always refer to that movie. However, though, I, th- I think it kind of misled people into thinking that that was OCD in its entirety. And I, I thought that was something... I kind of struggled with it when I tried to explain to people well. Absolutely. As I say, we're talking about OCD today. Laura Lee, you started to experience the symptoms of OCD when you were around 10 or 11, but you didn't know what it was at that stage, did you? No, I mean, from memory, that's as far back as I can remember showing signs. Um, I did have little habits growing up and I had, like, I collected everything as well. You know, um, you name it, I collected it. But about the age of... 9, 10 was when things kind of started changing a little bit and then at the age of 12 I mean I have memories of being sitting in uh, in class and the teacher you know taught, I think it was a religion class and I actually took the chair and stood up and fixed the clock and you know she just thought I was crazy and I couldn't really explain why I did it just I had to do it and I mean it was that severe at the time that 
I, I just came across. You know, people in class probably thought I was being, oh, she's hilarious, like, you know, or just trying to be a messer or something. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel right and it just, it had to be done. Um, but it was mainly because of, it wasn't just, you know, oh, I want to fix the clock because it's not straight because that I'm that much of a perfectionist. It, it would always be because there was some sort of thought that was going on, whether it be like, I, you know, if I don't fix that clock, like my best friend is going to get killed by a car after school or something like that, you know. So the compulsion was always to try and neutralise the obsessive thought that I was having. It was never really that I just like things straight or I'm a perfectionist or um, it's just oh, I like things to the left. You know, I think it, life, if, if that was OCD, it wouldn't be as horrible as it is. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Laura Lee. OCD is often attributed with that thing where something has to be done in a particular way. But of course, that, that's always connected with the consequence in your head, which is that something terrible might happen if you don't do that thing in a particular way. Of course. And that's why I think when you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'm so OCD or "Oh, I'm OCD about my shoes being really clean or about my pen being straight on the table or... and it's kind of moments like that that I really, I'm kind of like, I smile, you know, grin and bear it. I'm just kind of like, oh, you're really lucky you don't have OCD. Yes, that's the clear distinction. When a mentally healthy person says, I'm really OCD about my flat being tidy, they actually want their flat to be tidy because they like it that way. But the person with OCD who has to rearrange their apartment so that it feels right to them, they feel compelled to do that. Otherwise, they believe that something absolutely terrible will happen, like somebody will get ill because of your inaction. Of course. And a, a good example of that, actually, it, it just was reminded of it there, was when I was about 12 up until the age of 15, I would know every single item in my room. If somebody had been in my room, I would know. And if something was moved a quarter of an inch, I would know. And there was times I'd often stay awake until about three o'clock in the morning, moving my bed, like, and I mean an inch, not even very far, just until it was right enough for me to feel um, okay is the only way I can describe it because the anxiety that you would be feeling when your bed was in a certain angle that wasn't correct, but it was because I have to get it into this perfect angle or such and such will happen. And it could be, you know, somebody could get killed in the car outside on the road, but it'll be my fault, even though you would have had nothing to do with it, you know. You weren't diagnosed until you were 15. And what's interesting to me about diagnosis in relation to mental health conditions, and in fact, it's something that's reared its ugly head on a number of occasions during this series of podcasts, is that it takes a long time for people to get diagnosed with a condition. Uh, young people might not even know they're suffering from a recognised illness. Do you think children and teenagers should be taught more about how to be aware of the various disorders in school so that if they do experience a condition, they'll be able to recognise it? I definitely think so, because, I mean, for me, what I was thinking and what I was feeling was normal for me. So I didn't really know that there was something that wasn't right going on. Um, only to think like, well, I don't see everybody else going around, you know, fixing this or fixing that. Or So I guess I just thought I was a bit weird and I kind of didn't talk about it because I, I didn't want anyone to know, I suppose. Um, and I think if I had known a bit more about it, because I didn't know anything about it, I probably would have been felt a, a lot more at ease 
It baffles me why mental health conditions aren't covered as part of a curriculum. A study by researchers in Trinity College revealed that just 50% of teenagers are able to correctly identify the systems the symptoms rather of depression. Now, if only that amount can identify depression, you can imagine how small a percentage would be able to identify OCD, a condition which gets much less media exposure. I'd, I'd imagine as well that many teenagers would just observe that as somebody being very weird or strange if they saw somebody acting a little bit unusual. And there's going to be a lot of stigma. And that's why I suppose a lot of people with OCD conceal the symptoms so no one sees what they're doing. Yeah, and even I'm very open about my OCD because the way I am now is I want everyone to know more about OCD so that they can kind of... Um, see if, if a loved one has it or if they themselves could have it because the way I see it is I'm, I'm lucky. My OCD affected me very badly years ago and I see it as I've come through that and I'm proud and I'm here and I want to share my story. But years ago, definitely um, I would conceal it to, to some extent. But even now, um, when people find out I have OCD, they go, oh, but I never see you do anything. I Any compulsions I have, I tend to be able to conceal perfectly that I, I almost kind of would work it into whatever I'm doing so that it's absolutely everybody else is oblivious to it. When you became an adult then, did the compulsions change? or? Um, the compulsions changed more so after a couple of years on medication and from treatment. And also, I suppose, with what was going on in your life. So, for instance, around exam times, um, I'd become very bad. I mean, I, I was, I had a, a lot of physical health conditions and still do. So I had to do my leave insert in a room on my own so I could take breaks and stuff. And um, when you look back, it sounds hilarious. I, I had about like, you know, 10 little mementos around the room that would have to be changed every few minutes for the right vibe because if I didn't move them, I was going to fail my exam. So they've changed in, in, in things like that. But I think my compulsions have become a little bit better because I kind of blend them in with what I'm doing, but also because... I still feel like, I feel like years ago I was battling OCD and I wasn't quite winning. I feel now I'm battling OCD every day, but I'm winning. I'm in control of it rather than it's in control of me, which in the past it was. So I suppose to a degree that has changed my compulsions. But my obsessive part, uh, the obsessive thoughts are still there very much every day. I was just having a conversation with my mother about this the other day that no people, you could be having a conversation about anything and I, I could be thinking, oh, God, some oh, this is going to happen and it's going to be my fault and, and nobody would ever know. It's kind of an invisible agony, isn't it? it exactly. And it was, I think my mum my was maybe even a bit surprised because she knows I've been doing so well for years. But I was like, but I feel like it's just now I manage it. It comes along and I say, OK, you know, I'm able to distinguish better between what is an obsessive thought and what is a real thought. Whereas people with OCD can think really horrible, tragic thoughts. that, And I think that's what makes it worse for the sufferer. Whereas a few years ago, I, I also wasn't able to cope with those thoughts. It can be hard for healthy people to understand how OCD sufferers feel. If you can remember a particularly difficult example, Lauralee, of an obsessive compulsive moment, can you try and describe the feelings you were having in that moment? A very hard thing to under or to explain. Anxiety wise, it's absolutely through the roof. It's it's just the most horrific thing. I mean, I actually kept diaries from when my OCD was really bad, 
And looking back, I mean, you'd cry because you can't even read the writing. It's almost like when it gets so bad that your anxiety is just going through the roof. It's almost like becomes an episode, I suppose you could call it. It's the most horrific feeling in the world. And you just want to give up. You don't you don't want to be in this situation. You don't want to be anywhere. You, You want to be like everybody else. You're wondering, why am I thinking this? And why am I having these horrible thoughts? And like I would get quite vivid images as well. And I mean, so things like you could say you're having an obsessive thought about a friend dying or something. I mean, you'd go from everything to like in your head, like their funeral and, and all sorts. And, and you're there going like, oh, I have to be I have to try to stop this right now. And what can I do? And and if this happens tomorrow, it's going to be my fault. And it's it's just it's it's almost indescribable. It's just the worst feeling in the world. And that's why I suppose that I want to talk about it because I was in such a dark place and I never thought I was going to get out. Never, ever thought I was going to get out. And at the time, there was times I didn't want to get out because I just wanted to not be here. It's really tough. So the only way I can describe it is black. Black and the worst anxiety that you've ever felt. And those dark feelings led you to self-harm? Yeah. Uh, but also the self-harm was was through compulsions from OCD sometimes. So, I mean, it was kind of, it, it's so sad when you think of it, really. It was kind of like if, if I don't hurt myself, then somebody else will be hurt and it would be my fault. But a lot of the time, I think uh, people, self-harm is not the way to go, of course, at all. But it's a lot of the time because if you have a, a physical pain, then you don't have to focus so much on the emotional pain because your attention is, is drawn so much what you're suffering physically and it's a really tragic way to to deal with things but a lot of people that might go why is that person doing that that's why it's it's they're trying to escape it but in a very wrong way but it's it's something that I did did try use to try and and deal with things and it's something I'm very glad I don't do anymore Since the beginning of time, people have been, you know, frightened and, and unhappy and they're scared of death and they're, they're scared of getting old. And there's always been priests around and shamans and now shrinks to tell them, look, I know you're frightened, but I can help you. <clears throat> of course, it is going to cost you a few bucks. scene from 2003's Anything Else by Woody Allen there, which leads us into the whole area of getting better. Can you describe, Laura Lee, the treatment that you've received since diagnosis? Originally, um, I went to my GP and (laughs) the only way I can describe it is, looking back, you can't help but laugh. I just went in and I started crying and I started bawling and I hadn't cried for about seven years because it was all pent up you know, emotion. And uh, I was quickly referred to a lovely clinical psychologist. We would have, you know, done some general counselling, but then also cognitive behavioural therapy. That went on for quite some time. And I was finding it somewhat beneficial, but more in a, oh, yes, I want this to work kind of way. Um, And also because my OCD was mainly, um, as you said, if, if people like washing their hand or washing their hands is kind of where their uh, compulsions are, it's a little bit less difficult because you can kind of show them like, okay, you're not going to get infected by, you know, removing 
washing facilities or, or things like that. So I think CBT can kind of work a little bit better in those situations. But for me at the time, it wasn't enough. And that was also when I would have still been uh, in a very dark place. So it was suggested that I try medication. Um, at the time, originally, I, I was, you know, short of throwing chairs around the room and, you know, I'm not crazy and all this uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> I eventually um, said, OK, you know, I'll, I'll try the medication, I suppose. And uh, so I did. And going on, you know, medication, it's uh, for some people a big decision. Um I was quite sick at the beginning, only for a couple of weeks uh, going on it, but it was the best decision of my life. And when I look back at that girl who was in the room going, oh, I don't want to go on the medication and, you know, I'm not crazy. And looking back, uh, I was a bit crazy. So it's it's a good move that I did that. Yeah. Uh, so Are you still on it? I am. And I'm going to be, I'm, so I'm on medication since late 15 or 16 years old. Um, and I'm going to be on it for the the foreseeable future. I'm 30 this year, so that'll be 15 years. So I, I was doing well for many years. Um, about four years ago, or maybe four or five years ago, I decided, wow, I'm doing great. You know, uh, maybe I don't need the medication. And uh, I talked to my GP. Um, I run everything by the, the GP. So um, she says, well, you know, you can try, come off it for a little while. And I came off it for a little while. Everything seemed fine. And then things just... <laughs> You know, but it was it was the way I describe it was exact a, same thing happened to me. A, a bad relapse, yeah, a really bad yeah. relapse. And but this time around, I knew my friends knew, my parents knew, and the first thing I did, I, I was working, and um, somebody said, "How are you?" And I just started crying, uh, like, and I was like, ah! and I think they were like, "God, what's wrong with her?" And luckily, I was working in a, a really supportive environment at the time, so. Uh, I went to a work colleague and had a bit of a cry and uh, the boss said, I think you need to just take a week off. And he, he knew about my OCD. And uh, first thing I did was I called my mum and say, look, I need to come home for a while. And, you know, went to the, the doctor the next day, said, this is after what's happening and straight back on the medication. And a couple of weeks later, things were looking a bit brighter. <laughs> but um, yeah, in that time off, um, my OCD got really really bad I mean there was a really one occasion where it was really bad one night was there was a plastic bag on the kitchen table somebody I don't know if I left it there who left it there and I actually had to wake my housemate up to come and sit with me for the night or at least until I fell asleep because I got such a bad compulsion or an obsessive thought that if I didn't put the plastic bag over my head and suffocate myself that all, all that everyone I knew would die and it would be my fault and it was because I wasn't on my medication at the time it was a really tough tough moment I was lucky that that he was there and he was able to sit up with me and I think I eventually fell asleep after about five hours and you know this was kind of while I had to wait for the meds to kick in and it, it was just a perfect example that the way to go for me was the route that I had been on and to get back on it as soon as I could. Dr. Jim Lucy, who's the medical director in St. Patrick's, I went to a lecture by him once and he said that, if I remember correctly, 70% of OCD sufferers who go off their medication will relapse within one year. Yeah. And that always sticks in my head because it was the, that was the case for me and it sounds like it was possibly the case for you as well. Definitely. Okay, it's time for this. 
This is what I believe to be true. This is what I learned in the hospital. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. And if you do, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. In this part of the podcast, we look at movies, books, music and other interests which can cast a light on the difficulties of mental health issues or indeed offer some respite during difficult times. Laura Lee, when you're listening, or sorry, when you're feeling low, you tend to listen to music that relates to how you're feeling, you were saying to me before. Yeah. Why is that? I guess it's because sometimes when you're feeling really low, and I mean in terms of OCD, because everybody, of course, feels low, but in, in terms of uh, when I'm feeling low because of my illness, um, I, li- I like to listen to music that I feel relates to me in that moment in time, which... Some people might say isn't the best. They might say you should be listening to like, you know, uh, Sunshine, Lollipops and all that kind of stuff. Maybe there's an empathetic thing. Yeah, I kind of feel like because perhaps going back to my my early teens when I didn't really know what was going on and I kind of felt a little bit understood. And it's still a little bit the same as well. But I think as well, it's a little bit, it makes me feel a bit better because you kind of go, well, it's not just me, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, he, he's having a terrible day as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a particular song by Marilyn Manson that you find um, helpful. And I believe, what is that song? The song is Leave a Scar. Oh, yeah. And do you, you have that tattooed on your arm? I lyrics. do. I have the whatever doesn't kill you is going to leave a scar. Can I see. Yeah. And I also have a lot of scars on this arm from oh. many moons ago. Yes. So I have... Just the lyrics of that. And I guess it's it's not even so much the song, it's it's just that that line. Because it makes me remember where I was in that dark place and where I am now. And sometimes when I have a really bad day and I think, Oh God. I mean it's on my arm now, so I look down and I see it on my What's arm. What's the line again? It's whatever doesn't kill you is going to leave a scar. Okay. I look down at that and I kinda of think, you know, no matter how bad your day is today, you're not there anymore. So pick yourself up yeah. and smile. And I think that's, it's it's quite, it's not an exactly enthusiastic song of sorts. <laughs> or it doesn't sound very uh, delightful, but um, it's it's something that, you know, it's kind of like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's well, what I like about it. For the first time on this program, let's have a listen to Marilyn Manson. <laughs> So that was that was Leave a Scar by Marilyn Manson. We've often talked during this series with previous guests about the power of fiction, whether it's on the screen or in a book, to give mental health sufferers a moment of respite from the difficulties of their day-to-day lives. There's two particular, actually, there's one particular sitcom that you find gives you a pick-me-up, um, Alan Partridge. Just, I'm Alan Partridge. It's just the best ever. Even the, I don't know. Even when you say the title, it makes I love me laugh. Them as well. It's just Absolutely so brilliant. good. Tell me wh- why? Why is that something that you like to stick on when you're feeling uh, troubled? Just because I mean, I, it, well, I do know some people who don't find it funny at all, and I'm like, what? What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, it's just the funniest thing ever, and I think because everything always goes wrong for Alan and yeah. I'm Alan Partridge, you're kind of just like. 
God, you know, uh, here's me thinking, oh, poor me, and then this and that, and or I'm having a bad day, and it, it just kind of picks you up, but also because it's just done in such a funny way. Yeah, and he's a brilliant actor. Isn't brilliant, he? and I mean, even if people haven't seen it, you know, he goes through like, well, he does, it's it refers back to him and his mental episode where you know he he drove somewhere in his bare feet and ended up eating loads of chocolate. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like. It's, and, and this is the worst thing that's happened to him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, which is your favorite series? Um, oh my goodness! I think, my favorite I think it's one two, two. I think yeah. yeah, I think mine is number two. The Actually, one where he's the Norwich FM radio. Presenter. Yeah, and in fact, uh, I had to buy it, buy it again recently because the DVD broke because I was watching it so much. <laughs> it's kind of uh, I, you wore the CD, I wore the, the DVD CD out. out. Yeah, <laughs> let's have a listen to Alan. Okay, if you've just joined us, we're talking about who is the best lord. Lord of the rings, of the dance, or of the flies. That's tonight's hot topic. Hot topic. Okay, the votes are closed, and clearly the rings and the flies have been roundly trounced by the quick feet of blouse-wearing tycoon Michael Flatley. <laughs> Flatley, my dear, I don't river dance. Give it down. It's time for Mental Wealth Recommends. In the final part of the podcast, we look at things which may help people who are dealing with a particular mental health condition. This week, we're obviously focusing on OCD. Laura Lee, are there any books on OCD that you'd recommend? Uh, the one book that I found really useful um, was Brain Lock by Jeff Schwartz. Jeff- Jeffrey Schwartz, Jeffrey I Schwartz. Think, yeah. That's one that I, it's it's one that I still have, you know, highlighted bits in it and everything. And I found it quite useful in terms of a cognitive behavioural um, point of view. I have many other books on OCD that, you know, I kind of dipped in and out of, but they, di- they didn't really have a lasting effect on me. And anytime I ever wanted any of my friends or my family to maybe um, read some literature about it, I'd always lend them that book. So yeah. it's it's definitely something I would recommend because it, it deals with it in, in a in a practical sense. I think in that book, Brain Lock, it's also very good for giving an understanding of the uh, physiology and the science behind OCD. Yeah, what's it, going it on explains a lot about like uh, the chemical imbalance and yeah. the lack of serotonin and the reasons for OCD. A book uh, I found very helpful with my OCD was Overcoming Obsessive Compulsive Disorder by David Veal and Rob Wilson. It's a, I found it to be a really practical book and I looked it up on amazon.co.uk yesterday and the second-hand copies for £1.93. Oh, that's brilliant. Could be the best couple of quid you ever spent. Yeah. Um, you're a big believer in communication. Why do you think it's important to talk to someone if you're having trouble with OCD? Um, OCD... It seems like a really obvious question, like a really yeah, kind of stupid but... question, but... I just think it's it's so important. For example, I'll give you an example of where communication is needed. Um, last year on World OCD Day, or I yeah. suppose World OCD Day uh, Awareness Day, um, I, I <laughs> Yay, put a OCD. yeah, um, I put a, a status up on my Facebook, basically saying I have OCD and I'm proud and blah blah blah, etc. And I got a few messages from people that were on my friends list that I never knew you know about this at all that these people were suffering in silence and I was shocked I was can you talk to anybody can you talk to your friends can you they wouldn't understand can you talk to your parents oh they wouldn't understand I mean you know I reached out as much as I can but it was just a perfect example to me like no matter what I'm thinking I need to communicate this to people because I don't want to be that person 
um, that I was years ago, you know, <laughs> sitting in the room thinking, oh God, what's it all about? So communication, it helps everybody because the thing is, being the person who has OCD, the people in your life, though, can also find it very difficult if you're acting a particular way or, you know, they don't really understand why you're acting out of sorts or what's going on. Or But if I hadn't started communicating, I'm not sure I would have gotten out of that bad episode or bad episode series <laughs> of uh, OCD. And just being able to talk about it, I mean, even here with you, being able to talk about it freely, I think it destigmatizes it as well. And I think the more people that talk about it freely um, help other people, that's really where we need to get. OCD is a mental illness. It's, it's not something that should be um, frowned upon. And sadly, in society, you know, mental health, it, it is a stigma sometimes, but we need to try to get rid of that. Maybe we need to talk about it as an illness rather than a mental illness. Exactly. That's actually a very good point. But I mean, I think I was saying to you before that I don't see a difference between somebody having to take a medication for a physical condition and me having to take it for my OCD. Yeah. You know, if you're sick, if you get a chest infection, you go to the doctor and you get your antibiotic. Because you don't want to be walking around feeling unwell. Um, so I just think we need to communicate it more. We need it's to funny, talk about it funny, I was even talking to someone the other day about this, the way we label these conditions. And he was saying that we need to get rid of the, the whole idea of mental and physical health. We just need to talk health. about health. Um, you know, that there's no disparity between the two. Uh, yeah. There's something, there's something very powerful in that idea, I think. Definitely, because, you know, someone said to me, I said, like, uh, I, I have a mental illness. We were talking about mental illness, and I said, I have a mental illness. And they said, oh, what do you have? And I said, OCD. Oh, I wouldn't really call that a mental illness. Yeah, just call that, like, being a bit of a perfectionist. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> That's very upsetting. Very upsetting. And I, I kind of stood my ground. I said, no, it is a mental illness, and it's very, very severe. It can get better, and it can get worse. You wouldn't say to somebody with a serious physical condition, Asher, you know, you just can't walk there like your grand. You know, it's 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 really insensitive. Yeah, absolutely. I've got an image now in my head of um Mary and John in Father Ted <laughs> after some domestic abuse and John has a massive bandage around his head with blood <laughs> coming out of it. And Father Ted says, are you all right there, John? And he says, oh, yeah, it's just a headache. Yeah, just a headache, exactly. <laughs> if there was a, a, a visual equivalent of OCD, um, I think it would be pretty noticeable. Exactly. Yeah. I have to mention before we finish, um, OCD Ireland, an organisation which offers information and support to sufferers of OCD. They operate free weekly support groups for sufferers and also support groups for families of sufferers and you can visit ocdireland.org for more details Laura, Lee, uh, many thanks for joining us on Mental Wealth thanks for listening to today's podcast next month we'll be talking about trichotillomania if you'd like to comment on this episode of Mental Wealth or if you would like to share your experience of mental ill health or indeed recovery you can email me simon.tierney at newstalk.com or you can contact us on Twitter and uh, the Newstalk Twitter handle is at newstalkfm. 